Well, Apple TV with the call of Orlando's controversial goal, Duncan McGuire, maybe, slash probably offside, slots one home to beat Nashville SC. The only goal scored in the contest is the boys and goal drop. Uh, another home result, Tim. This is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage. For the two people who have covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines, and Tim, it is therapy hour. We're here to talk all about it. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's it's not the most glowing time for this club, but uh, you know there are still positives from not only the Orlando match, but but the season writ large, and um, definitely plenty to dissect about the non-positives as well. Yeah, we kind of unofficially coined this among ourselves as a uh, quote mailbag episode. Like we have plenty we could say, but best to follow your cues as to what you want to talk about. Some predictable topics, I think, but but really insightful questions. And then a few that I think even took it to that next level. And uh, so we're interested to do that with you today. But to sum things up, of course, Nashville, the 1-0 loss to Orlando, uh, now winless in three. They've won one MLS match dating back to before League's Cup. And it was that great win at Sporting Kansas City that I think, Tim, we thought was going to trigger a nice possible run up the table. And since then, things have just really fizzled for this group. What's the What's the deal? Yeah, I mean, some of it is is just the teams that you're playing, right? Sporting yeah. Kansas City is bad, and, and Orlando is not bad. So that's definitely some of it. But this is a Nashville team that had also been basically elite at home in its entire existence, and, and that has not been the case this year, and, and certainly not lately. And I don't think there are any easy answers to it, because in the past, we've seen Nashville get home and, and play a, a wide-open, um, comparatively at least, style that, that really suits them. To see this club get... Uh, clean sheets, um, for example, against Seattle, but to see them come close to a clean sheet against Orlando um, scoring on their only legitimate shot is one thing, but but the absolute impotence is not something that we've seen in the attacking end when they're at home, whether that's on um, Geodis Park or, or at the Titans, as Gary Smith would say. At Titans is always my favorite. Yes, very, <laughs> very good. Um, one win for Nashville SC uh, at home since that I think season highlight three one went over St. Louis at home and it was DC United two nil July 1st. That's the last time they've won on their home pitch in MLS play. It's just wild. It's wild. And Tim, for me, at least, even though Nashville's clinched a playoff spot actually since we last talked. So congrats boys and gold for that. This still feels like the low point of the season to me. I think you could also certainly make a case for the loss at home against Philly and then on the road against Cincy right before leagues cup. But even though Nashville's in the playoffs, the future just doesn't seem very bright right now for this team, does it? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it's it's as low of a point. I think the point that you just mentioned is probably probably felt lower. Although the teams were a little bit better, um, losing to to you know two teams at the top of the table. I guess Orlando is ahead of Philly now, but um, but neither here nor there. Uh, I think the the fact that the SKC win is still fresh enough doesn't make this feel like a low point. But the problem is it feels like kind of a, a longer term decline over the course yeah. of this late stage of the season. And that's, that's the bigger issue to me. It's not that it's, that it's at a low point, but that, that you can feasibly see lower points coming soon, I guess. I think that's fair. I think in terms of quality, in terms of depth of emotion and frustration, then that earlier point in the season is worse. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree. Five losses and six at that point, the one win coming against <laughs> DC. But I think, there at least there was hope right and that hope was rewarded the hope of hey league's cup it's going to be a a palate cleanser and it absolutely was coming back from league's cup you wondered if that would be a springboard it clearly wasn't 
And now I feel like it's almost fatalism taking hold, right? It's this club is what it is. Whereas earlier in the season, you could say, all right, few bad results. There's still time. There's not time anymore. Uh, and I think I understand anybody who's discouraged, who's wanting to start turning the page to next year. There's a little bit of that in the mailbag. There's also <laughs> some hope though, Tim, because obviously all is not lost. Three games left for Nashville SC. And then we say it over and over again. One of these years, it's going to transpire. This is a team that's built to make a run in the playoffs because they're tough to beat. Yeah, I, I keep looking at the the like overwhelming negativity of the of the mailbag questions and thinking, man, it would honestly be a great bit if they went and won MLS Cup <laughs> from this point. But uh, I think we're also realistic about, um, you know, whether or not that that is, you know, it's obviously a possibility. They're, they're going to be in the playoffs. We know they're almost certainly going to be the seventh seed in the playoffs at this stage, too. So I think it's something that you can look at and say it's a long shot, but it is a shot. Um, so that's, that's, I guess, the positive of a playoffs league is that you always the season is not over until you are eliminated from the playoffs and Nashville's not there yet. They can play like trash for these final three games. They've they've done it a lot recently, uh, to be quite <laughs> honest. So yeah, uh, even if that happens, there, there's always a chance to go and and do something special in in knockout play. And this is a club that is that is built for it, even if it hasn't led them to the the glories of MLS Cup yet. And the good news, I guess, that could also be bad news is that two of their three final games are against teams above them in the table. So good news is that they could feasibly, if a long shot, catch one of those teams, mathematically both of those teams, although not likely. And and more importantly, I think, than that, more likely than that, they can test themselves against top competition and play themselves back into form. Uh, but they didn't do that against Orlando in one of those key tests in a six point match against a team that now looks like they're headed toward a top two finish. But I'll ask you before we get into the mailbag, was last night a deserved result? It's you, you win the XG battle. You don't win the referee battle. You, <laughs> you, you give up a tough, questionable goal. But Nashville didn't offer much by way of actually finishing the chances they were creating. Right. Only eight shots of their own. Did they deserve that last night? Yeah, I think in the grand scheme, um, I, I really do have a hard time looking past uh, the the three big offside calls. I think the one where Hani was coming back, um, probably he was offside, but it was close enough that was I was surprised that, that they that they raised the flag and whistled it immediately. Um, the, the Fafa Pico one is absolutely an incorrect call. I've rewatched it and I was like, OK, there's nothing that I missed. This is just an official who who made an error. Um, I would have liked to see the VAR tell the center official to to take a look on the Duncan McGuire goal as well, because um, if you if you consider that offside as as Fafa Pico's shot was on the on the um, play where he went where he went to the end line, uh, that Orlando City had like one one thousandth of an expected goal without without that one. They only had two total shots in the game, so it is a situation where um, I think based on what transpired on the field and, and the way the calls went, it's it's Nashville kind of dug its own grave with that one. Um, but though I do, you know, still look at it and say, man, it's, it's tough to beat yourself, but also get really, really unlucky. It's going to happen here and there though. And it, and it happened to Nashville and they, and they didn't persevere through adversity. I think that's, we, we talk about how this kind of stretch of the season where they have underachieved their expectations is about a team that's playing poorly and, and a team that's getting unlucky. But at a certain point, you create your own luck by by persevering through bad luck and and you know getting the results that it doesn't seem like are are set up for you. And that could have happened against Orlando City, and it didn't. Yeah, if you only allow the opponent two shots and you don't win the game, it's on you. 
it's not on the defense, but yeah. it's on it's on the attack. And we'll do the referee thing too in just a little bit. I will note Stephen Shirley, who's reached out to us a few times, typically in defense of referees, uh, proactively responded to me being flummoxed at the Fafa offside call, and he said, "Here's what we do." As referees, the AR is yelling defender, defender, defender when the ball hits the defender and is played deliberately by the defender. He said, I don't know how that that isn't done in that case. He's 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 baffled by that. Um, and for the record, he said he thought it was not clear and obvious that um, Doug McGuire's offside. Just a bit of clar- clarification there. We're not saying was Duncan McGuire past the last defender. He clearly yeah, was. That ball, was not yeah. the call. It's the ball. It's is he yeah. behind the ball? Is he ahead of the ball? I think he's ahead of the ball there. I definitely agree. You have to go to the monitor to look at that. And yeah. uh, it's, it's a potential defining moment, but I think it is a deserved result because yeah. you're at home, you give up two shots, you need to win the game. Just bottom line, and you need to respond to adversity. They had 45 minutes to figure this out in the second mm-hmm. half. They didn't do it. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I'm going to use my typical line. Their kids are on scholarship too. Orlando City is second in the table for a reason. It's because they are also a good team. The fact of the matter is you're playing at home. You are a team that at one stage was at the number two position in the table was thinking, okay, maybe we'll, we'll see what we can do to, to claw back some of these points against Cincinnati and, and potentially challenge for the top team in the East. Obviously we've seen that fall off hard and, and that's both, you know, like I mentioned the bad luck, but it's Nashville not doing what they need to do when they, when they face that sort of bad luck or when they face things that kind of, you know, can be a little bit of a, a mental block for them. They, they are not overcoming that. Coming up in just a bit, what's wrong with the attack? Uh, a little more on the refereeing. Uh, what's up with Nashville's psychology in late moments or when calls go against them? And uh, what's the big picture here? What does this mean for the season? Uh, what's the future even of the front office and the and the coaching staff? All of that to come in, in a very robust mailbag. First, Tim, uh, we, we go from disappointment to the delight for a moment, of course, of talking about an undefeated entity, and that is Emil Rose. <laughs> Yeah, um, I know that a few people made it to the to the Eighth uh, Avenue South location uh, to to either watch the game or, or head there after the game uh, last or Wednesday night, I should say, for people who are listening to this later in the week. But um, I want to thank everybody who reached out. They, people who send us pictures of their their food or beer, you will almost always get a retweet from me. <laughs> so, so so go ahead and do that. Um, ML Rose appreciates it as well, obviously, and and we appreciate them for for being a place that people want to go after a game or or go before a game and and experience, uh, you know the 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 gold jerseys or, or the black jerseys for people who who got this year's edition, but um, you know filling up the Eighth Avenue South location uh, especially, but also um the places all around town. Yeah, you can bring your cash kit, but not spend a lot of cash on good beer, especially during happy hour. I've had better. Uh, you know, not only the soccer fan demographic loving it, I've mentioned my son a couple of times. He's he's three. We, we are both parents of young children. And, you know, he doesn't know what what yesterday or tomorrow mean. He has no sense of time. He has no grasp on reality. And yet <laughs> when I asked my wife the other day, hey, where are we going to go to eat today? He pipes up ML Rose. And he starts talking about the owl. He starts talking about all the decor on the walls and the, and the great food. And so he made the decision for us. It's great, Tim, when you believe in a product so strongly that that belief trickles down to your toddler. Yeah, uh, that I wish was a more frequent occurrence for me <laughs> that, my, that mine would uh, kind of be amenable to the things that I want her to do. But um, yeah, it's, it's awesome that 
um, not only can can ML Rose appeal to soccer fans for obvious reasons, but uh, if you are going to go there and, and bring the entire family, I can guarantee you that that kids will like it. They will. And you will like it drinking things that your kids are not allowed to drink if you choose to do that. Uh, let's get in the mailbag now. And we'll start actually with a, a long soliloquy, I guess, here by by Gary Smith. He'd already talked about disappointment in the referees, cued by a question we should mention. And then he was asked about the team's composure and lack of attacking punch, especially in late moments. And here's what he had to say. What happened at halftime or after halftime, having gone behind in a difficult moment, minute before the break or two minutes before the break. You know, it's always disappointing, but the message was that, you know, we needed to start off with the same sort of intensity and and, and mindset as we did in the first half. And I thought there was some good energy early on, although not the same sort of chances. Yes, for sure, as we got into the meat of that second period and certainly as the game finished up, it, it looked as though... You know, the group were, um, you know, clutching at straws a little bit in in the way that we were going to try and find an opening. It looked like confidence had been eroded um, and some individuals that we obviously looked towards to to try and, um, you know, make a difference were dropping deeper and deeper, uh, which, you know, in... You can understand to a large degree there are a couple of guys that want to get on the ball and they want to try and make a difference. And and that's all a consequence of obviously being behind and against a side that know how to navigate those situations as they did. Um, but look, let me finish up with this for the question. We're all frustrated about the defeat. There were some things in it that I think we can actually grasp onto and move forward with, which is good news. There are definitely things that we can discuss about that probably final 25 minutes of the game. But most importantly, I think I think the group have agreed that we've got more than enough quality to what we'd like to maybe um, classes do some damage in the in the playoffs. So, Tim, I think Gary maintained a bit of an optimistic posture, saying that he thinks there are things they can work on, things they can look at do you feel that way do you feel like the pieces are there and for whatever reason it just hasn't clicked and and if if it can still click how do you get it to click when it's not in so long yeah i think to answer the second question uh, i don't think there's anything you can do other than keep grinding at it Um, i don't think there's a problem with the tactical setup i know we'll be asked about that uh in a little bit here i don't think there's a problem with the personnel it just hasn't happened this is a a low trials high variance game and sometimes it's going to suck i kind of agree with gary smith in that sense that it that it can still click i think it is not something that you can force to happen but if it does look out we we were saying this at the end of last season too and it didn't happen um in the playoffs or um basically any time other than decision day with the exciting win over lafc but it is a situation where you have that opportunity and um it's inherently unpredictable the ball the ball bounces in funny ways sometimes and um you just kind of have to hope that your guys who who you trust to be good enough to to kick it in the right direction as they have been so often in their careers just kind of get back to it 
All right, let's get into the why and the how here. We'll start with our re resident White House correspondent, Helen Thomas, the equivalent, of course. She always had the first question at briefings for like 60 years. Our version of that, of course, our good friend, Logan Elliott. Logan, at the risk of oversimplifying the problem, are the attacking issues simply going the way of our best player in Hani? When he's on fire, the attack flourishes. On the occasion that he's not, the attack is going to look a bit toothless. Tim, I think part of this is that when Hani scores, the team is more likely to, to win and succeed. But I think part of it for me is that and Gary references my favorite thing that Gary said in the postgame presser, besides calling the character of Oscar Perea into question a little bit subtly. That was fun. Um, I didn't notice also, that. It was, oh, maybe, you know what? We'll play that soundbite in a minute. I'll add that to the show. <laughs> it's pretty fun. He didn't so much say it. He said that the way Orlando plays takes after their manager in that oh, yeah, yeah, soccer play yeah. in the second half. We'll play that. You know what? We'll play that right now. Orlando seemed intent, you know, for the quality team that they are. They spent so much time trying to run down the clock. It, it was really weird. You know, I, I, I would have expected more than that from a team of that quality. But they obviously have their style and, and their manager is obviously reinforcing certain um, qualities and, you know, gentlemanly conduct abilities. When you're winning, I guess, you know, you can go through that process, but... It's not a thing. It's not anything that I would want from my team. Let me let me let me put it that way. All right, but getting back to the point. <laughs> See, great soundbite <laughs> though, isn't it? Like they reflect their manager. Yeah. He encourages that. All right. Anyway, I love salty Gary, but I think the point that I liked was that, you know, when Nashville was urgent to make things happen, Hani dropped further back up the yeah. field. When he does that, at its best, it allows him to create and combine and move forward. Mm -hmm. But against a disciplined defense like Orlando, it didn't come off. Yeah, I, I mean, I think for starters, you can say if Hani plays well and scores, Nashville is going to play well and score because he is a member of, of Nashville Soccer Club. <laughs> and so, so uh, you know, the, the Venn diagram, he's a small circle inside their big circle in terms of positive performance. But uh, I think there's something to be said for, for Nashville possibly being over-reliant on him. We were hoping that uh, the addition of Sam Surridge would allow for maybe uh, Fafa Pico and Jacob Schaffelberg to be able to have somebody to play off of from the wing other than having to say, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to sit back a little bit. We're going to try to get it to Hani's feet right at the center circle and let him drive at a back line that is waiting for him. And that happened a couple of, of occasions on, one, on Wednesday night. Uh, it obviously did not turn into a goal, but it's a situation where, uh, you know, he's going to drive at the back line and, and get a good shot most of the time that he's in that situation. Again, sometimes it just doesn't happen, and and Nashville needs other ways to to kind of either encourage that to happen uh, when he is on, or have other ways to score when when it's not working for Hani specifically. So, speaking of other ways to score, Fafa Pico had a couple of of chances uh, and and was pretty active, really. I think in the final third, but not the most effective that he's ever been. Justin Belial says we win or lose in the team, but I'm curious as to Fafa's XG on his chances yesterday. XG being expected goals for those who are novices at that. Uh, Justin says it seems like he always tries to hit a home run, often doesn't make that extra pass or final touch to get a goal. Editorializing uh, his breakaway with Hani that was called offside, an example of that, in my view. Back to Justin, that first chance of his with Hani and Sam wide open was pretty egregious. Okay, well, I didn't have to editorialize because Justin said it there as well. Your thoughts, first on the XG stats and, and on uh, Fafa's approach inside the final third. Yeah, uh, so the Opta official numbers are uh, 0 0.075 expected goals for the for the opportunity that he chose not to pass to Mukhtar or Surridge. And then uh, 0.137, so about a 14% chance of a goal 
um, for people who don't know expected goals, it's not, um, it, it's a measure of shot quality essentially. Um, so that's, I think that's the easiest way to, to frame it without having to get into the explanation. But I think on the first one, I actually take issue with, with calling Hani and especially Surge wide open on that one. Um, a pass that, that leads either of them as they're on the full sprint either has to go through Rodrigo Schlegel's body, um, which to me means they're not open or it makes them have to control and get a shot off while basically having to shoot through Schlegel. So I think his positioning um, during that, during that sequence, as I was watching it live, I was like, Oh yeah, Fafa's got basically no choice, but to shoot here because neither of those guys is in a good spot. I would like to actually see Surridge take a, a wider run, knowing that Hani is going where he's going. And then maybe you have a chance to play it wide to him and he's got a one-on-one with the keeper, but a far post shot probably is, is the right choice there. It gives at least a, as good of a look if Galese spills it or if it hits the post. Um, the fact that it was like a few inches wide of, of doing that. And, um, you know, I always make the Mighty Ducks reference half an inch the other way and it would have missed completely. That was that opportunity. If, if it had hit the post, if it had been a few inches inside, um, it would have been a tip in, tip in, tap in for either of those guys. Or if it had, you know, been a foot uh, to the right, could have been a goal. I don't think it was a, a bad choice in the in the grand scheme of things. On to Cam. From a tactical standpoint, what are you seeing in recent play that's keeping Nashville from being more threatening and build up an attack? What's missing and what needs to be injected to be able to score goals again? I can see our lack of spark, but I don't know the solution. I think here, Tim, I would ask our listeners to think back on their favorite five to ten attacking moments for Nashville SC and to try to recall how many of those were set set plays off set pieces mm-hmm. were in transition versus trying to just break teams down in their normal phase of attack. And I think what you'll see is you, know, you think back at, at Hani Mukhtar magical step overs on, on transition or teaming up with CJ Sapong to pound one in the back of the net. You think of Walker Zimmerman set piece headers. And I think the point is Nashville's never really been great at breaking down teams who sit back. And we saw as early as the Cincinnati home game early this season, a team say, have the ball. Go for it. And to an extent, that's what Orlando did. Uh, to Nashville's credit, I thought the repress was really good last night, especially in the first half when Nashville gave it up in their attacking third. They took it back quickly, but then they didn't really do much with it after that. Um, I think Nashville's built for stretching the field. They're built for stretching <laughs> your head, their heads above everybody else. And right now they don't have the right patterns of play or connections to create something out of nothing in the final third. That's not deeply tactical. That's more about game phase, but that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly it. Is when Hani Mukhtar isn't making a moment of magic, um, they are going to have to score in transition or on set pieces. Um, this was actually kind of a fairly up and down game in the early stages. Um, both the the fee, the Fafa Pico non-pass, um, the attempted header. Uh, the incorrectly uh, offside uh, attacking opportunity. Those were all all transition moments. The fact is just once Orlando gets a goal, they are going to sit back and and it's going to be really tough for a team that's built to score in the ways that Nashville does to score unless they get one on a set piece. So from the attack to the midfield, Brian Wilson, obviously Hani has to be in form, but is Dax the most important player on the roster right now? The midfield's ability to get offensive players into dangerous positions seems to hinge on whether Dax has a good night or not. And Dax sat... Uh, for Brian and Nuga for this one. No problem with rotation here uh, with two games in a short week. But I did think, Tim, that Nashville missed Dax's vision last night. The, the repress was effective. I thought I thought Anibal Godoy, Brian and Nunga got in the way. Uh, Randall Leal tracked back as he does really well and didn't allow Orlando to have a lot of seamless transition into their possession. But then what Dax does so well is those incisive re-entries into the middle of the pitch. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a he's a knife that can cut through a defense. 
Godoy can be that. I don't think he did yeah. a great job of that uh, on Wednesday night. Anuga is going to be more of a reset, settle the ball type, and that's fine. I did think they missed Dax last night. Calling him the most important player on the roster, yeah. that's difficult. And when you have a Hani or a Walker, but he's definitely <laughs> he's definitely one up him. Yeah, I, I agree with you. We, we've gone back and forth about Dax's contributions, um, his down year last year, his renaissance this year. He's a really important player to this team for the reasons that you mentioned. Um, I Like you said, I don't know that he's one of the the very, very most important guys when you have um, some of the other players, including Leal when he's healthy, I think you could say is, is more important um, than, than Dax could be. The issue is, is what you lose when you don't have Dax there. And it's not necessarily anything that is inherent to Dax. I think uh, you kind of touched on it a little bit. It's kind of something that's inherent to Brian and Nunga. He is not going to get intimately involved in the attack. That's just not the player he is. He's a destroyer as a midfielder. Um, I think you would have had more attack with Sean Davis over, over him. Um, mm-hmm. I think you would have had probably less defensive destroyer ability if you had Sean Davis over him. Hindsight is twenty twenty. We know what Nashville ended up needing in this game, but um, I do think it's it's more about um, the the kind of huge pendulum swing from Dax to Anunga than than necessarily um, something that Dax provides quality wise. Wesley Bryant with a great question. I think I raised this a few weeks ago, and it it remains relevant. He says, "What I don't get is how this same team that went on such a great run prior to the first international break, and the same form that did so well in Leagues Cup, um, tired legs." Did the final just break their spirit? How do we explain the divergence between what we saw in Leagues Cup, what we saw early in the season, and what we're seeing now, what we saw right before Leagues Cup? Yeah, I mean, some of it is just the natural rhythm of a season. If you don't have like one of the very best, best two or three rosters in the league, or one of the two or three worst rosters in the league, and, and less than until you sign Lionel Messi, um, you're going to have ups and downs because this is a, a league with a lot of parity. Nashville is a team that's probably in the in the upper third roster quality wise of this league, but it's not one of the very top teams and you're going to have those rhythms. Um, I, I think, like I said earlier, uh, this is where I said I was going to drop it again. Orlando, Orlando's kids and Seattle's for that matter are on scholarship too. Orlando is the number two team in the Eastern Conference. Um, Seattle is, is near the top of the Western Conference. Let me check real quick. Seattle's number two in the Western Conference as well. So it is a situation where you're, you're playing against teams that are also really good. Uh, it's a situation where Nashville is just not playing well. I, I don't think that there's any mystery to that other than sometimes you just don't play well unless yeah. you're a lot better than everybody else. Well, I think partially it's tactical too. You know, they went up against a couple of Mexican teams that wanted to play wide open that didn't care to sit back and try to defend Nashville. And so Nashville and, was, and I, to- I think there's something to be said for the stakes being lower, especially yeah. before like the semifinal of, of leagues cup, they could say, okay, if we get three scored on us, we'll score four. I, and then, right. you know, if you, if we don't, we get a little bit of rest, honestly. So. Yeah. Well, and I think, yeah, the pressure's off a little bit and it was for the opponents too. And so you mm-hmm. saw more wide open games where Hani was in a place to thrive, where Sam Surridge was in a place to really connect well with them on counterattacks, just like he did for Nottingham Forest. And, and then you get back into league play against teams with great defenses and teams that know Nashville well and care about countering what Nashville does well instead of just playing their own game. And you have a different challenge in front of you. I think that that really explains a little bit of it, too. It's the approach of the opponent, not just the quality of the opponent, which mm-hmm. you could argue the Mexican teams were better. Monterey, maybe the best team on the continent. Uh, but they were they were. Have you heard of York Nine, West? Jeez. I'm Actually, sorry. I don't even think they're called that anymore. <laughs> no, I don't think that's correct. I'm more of a Forge guy. Um, <laughs> 
David, I think with a with a question that gets to the heart, and Jared both here of, of the most surprising issue with this team for me. Um, David, I'm no master of sports psychology, but I think there are clearly times when the guys perceive they are facing both the other team and NSC's playing style, philosophy, lack of depth. Then when they perceive opposition from the refs as well, they get demoralized fast. And Jared, when any referee decisions go against Nashville, they seem to really let it get to them. They collapse and lose their composure every time. They let the ref dictate the game and play into the hands of the opponent. Why and how can they change? Before we answer that question, Walker Zimmerman kind of endeavored to answer that as well when he spoke of the frustration that they have felt in some of those moments. I don't think this is a game that we're b- blaming the result on the refereeing alone. Um, that happens every game where you have calls going for you and against you. I think looking at some of the numbers, the stats, like we, you know, Gary brought up, they have one shot on goal. We have we have eight, but zero on goal. Um, we had some good chances in that first, you know, 30 minutes that I think we can put the game away. We take the lead, completely different game. Um, and so, yeah, we're definitely getting frustrated as games go on and, and we get down and it makes it difficult for us. And so we got to figure out, one, how we can, can play when we are behind. Uh, and then, two, make sure that, you know, we continue to be positive as we enter those final phases because it just felt like as a group... Uh, just a little bit off, a little bit stale, and and not quite sharp enough to create more chances in the last 15, 20 minutes. Tim, I think Walker put an optimistic spin on it, as mm-hmm. he's wont to do. He's very well-spoken in those post-game press conferences. But you have you know two yellows from Dan Lovitz, including just a sloppy one late. You have you know players you know getting in the faces of the referee, showing their frustration, and it bleeds into some of their connection, I think, in the attack when they're you know so engaged in that anger and that frustration. They commit fouls they shouldn't. Is that that seems beneath a team that has so many veterans like Nashville does? Yeah, I, I want to touch really quickly on, on one of David's points. I don't think the play style that Nashville um, employs is something that really is a problem for the players. There were it's built for that play style. It's recruited to that play style. Guys join this team because of that play style. The players really embrace it, and they're not uh, ambiguous about that. They make it very clear that they embrace it. As for the officiating, I, I think most teams probably, if they feel aggrieved, whether or not they actually are, I think um, on Wednesday night, I think Nashville has a legitimate uh, reason to be aggrieved. But there have been times when they felt aggrieved when maybe they didn't deserve to feel aggrieved. It happens to every team that you, that you kind of can get a little bit of a, a hot head over it, or you can kind of lose your composure a little bit. I think the point that you just made that, that they've got uh, with the veteran core that they have, they have to be better at overcoming that. I don't know that there's an answer uh, how they can change <laughs> to, to Jared's kind of action item there. I don't know if there's a specific answer to how they do it other than next time it happens, just don't react the way you do. And um, it is something that has impacted results. It has played a role in this uh, ignominious streak leagues cup, notwithstanding. Patron Saint of Coffee, does the clear and obvious rule hurt or help MLS? And it has to remind, remain the standard for replay, I think, in soccer and across all sports, of course, and football, they'll call it in, you know, in, sorry, conclusive video evidence or incontrovertible. Indisputable. Indisputable yeah. is the word I was looking for. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it's a long day. Only no ice, <laughs> no ice coffee this afternoon for me. Uh, I think it has to be. I, I think otherwise yeah. you get into some really thin margins and thin lines where you're violating the spirit of replay, even if you might be getting something technically right by an inch. And I think that's actually honestly my issue with how Premier League does offside. The lines often violate the spirit of the offside rule, even if they're technically right by an armpit or a hair. And to that end, Nashville was victimized last night by a call with which I disagree. And yet the margin was close enough 
I understand them not overturning that. And yeah. I think clear and obvious needs to continue to be the standard so that you don't get into some really hairy situations. Yeah, I, I think when you specifically talk about MLS, it doesn't matter. MLS doesn't get to decide. They have to follow the IFAB rules, which FIFA um, it essentially enforces on all leagues that want to be sanctioned um, by their confederations and ultimately by FIFA. So I don't think vis-a-vis other leagues, it hurts Major League Soccer. I think in the in the grand scheme of things, like you mentioned, since this is a college football podcast, I have to bring it up. <laughs> uh, the, the indisputable video evidence rule is terrible. It leads to really long reviews that that you do get these like weird technicalities. And like you mentioned, some of what the Premier League does in turn in pursuit of clear and obvious, I think is is going beyond clear and obvious. Yeah. They're they're looking for indisputable evidence, and that is not what the IFAB rules ask for. Um, I think it, it makes for a better television product, it makes for a fairer game. I think if it, the human element of officiating gets something wrong. Um, even if it's, if it's, you know, come, if they come back and it was technically wrong by, by a millimeter, I think for the, in the flow of the game, if it's not something that's clearly and obviously wrong, it should stand because it's for the, for the sake of the television product. Yes. But also for um, that, that is just the human element of the game too. And I, and I am somebody who is, who is very team get it right. Yeah, and I hate when people say, "Oh, well, the refs get stuff wrong." That's part of what makes soccer great. That's that's incorrect. <laughs> that is the wrong take to have. Yeah, but if it's if it's if close enough that that you have to sit there and and pour over um every pixel, it's it's not worthwhile. No, I, I agree. I agree. You can split hairs and and make it un, completely un, untenable and unwatchable really quickly. Alex Fleener, do we rest the starters the last three games of the season and hope our guys are ready to make a playoff run if they're fresh? Uh, no, I think, you know, it'd be the worst. <laughs> this guys need more time together if that's possible. Sam Surge needs to be up top more. They, these, these guys need to develop connections. They're in good enough shape that with some minor rotation, they'll make it to the playoffs fine. Fatigue's not their issue, in my opinion here, Tim. It's it's a lack of ideas in the final third that's that's the issue. And I don't think that sitting those guys makes that any better. Yeah, and it's important to keep in mind that Chicago can still pass NSC in the standings if, if Nashville were to only get one draw or or were to uh, lose all three of these final three games. So at least until seventh is locked up, not an option. The problem is uh, the only time that you really need to worry about fixture congestion is this weekend, and that's before before seventh place is going to be locked up anyway. There's an argument to be made for personnel management. We saw tired legs against Orlando. Um, it's not an excuse because Orlando also played on Saturday, but it is a situation where you manage your roster, but I don't think you completely turn it over and say, okay, we need to rest these starters. It's not something that Nashville is in a position to be able to do. Jay Robinson, positive thoughts, right? Jay, you might be the only one, but we respect <laughs> it. Uh, how good has our defense been? Can they carry us in the playoffs? I mean, certainly two shots allowed to Orlando, yeah. Tim, is doing the job on that side of the pitch. Yeah, and this, that is why people talk about Nashville being a, a team built for knockout play because you are not going to get scored on except in very rare circumstances. And a team that wants to play in transition like Nashville does, that often has the very best player on the pitch in Honey Mukhtar, in Nashville's example, is going to be a team that is built for tournament play. Um, just because it hasn't uh, led to an MLS Cup in, in Nashville's first three seasons, I don't think there's something to to frown upon about it there. They need to go out and win, obviously. But I do think that if they do, uh, the defensive effort is going to be a huge part of that. It's a good observation by Jay. Uh, Let's get really big picture here for our last couple of questions. Um, David and John teaming up with with essentially the idea of of why does it feel like Mike Jacobs always fills obvious roster holes one or two transfer windows too late? That was John's exact question. But David echoing that, uh, that sentiment essentially that Nashville's just too thin and not filling these these spots till long after the openings are identified. Do you agree with that sentiment, Tim? Do you share that concern? 
Yeah, to an extent, it's it's an accurate representation of what has happened. They knew they needed a striker at the beginning of the year. They knew they weren't going to get one until the summer window. Some of it is just the the natural consequence of being in a league that is off schedule with the major European leagues where you're going to get a lot of your players. Um, some of it is the reality of, of roster mechanisms, of, of budget from ownership. There are a bunch of different reasons. I think it's fair to say that there are there have definitely been situations where holes weren't filled. I think it's a little bit overstating things to say it's constantly happening, though. Um, they knew exactly when they were going to get Shaq Moore. I think the problem was not finding somebody that they could like sign to a six-month contract last year. Similarly, um, with Surridge, they knew that they were going to have to wait until the summer to get him. Um, they thought Teal Bunbury could do the job, and I think you could look back and, and fairly say he did a yeoman's job there. And it's something that um, they managed having to wait for surge properly. So it is a situation where, yes, you would love them to sign the best player available for the obvious open need immediately. It's just not realistic in every circumstance. No. And Fafa Pico, another example, somebody that, that was referenced after the season, they tried to bring in uh, actually mm-hmm. for the, for the August window last year and, and couldn't mm-hmm. get that across the line for, you know, the team not wanting to sell him reasons. <laughs> um, there's only so much of that that you can attribute to Mike Jacobs and say it's his fault. But I, I do understand fans who are frustrated with a pattern. I would also say, you know, LAFC or somebody like that has unlimited coffers to have a, a line of players out the door that they can mm-hmm. pursue and, and know that they can bring them in at a salary point at a transfer point that they can have that line. Nashville has to be more selective with the resources that they have. And that's not a knock on John Ingram. That's just to say that I think it's obvious Nashville doesn't have the spending ambition of a Miami in LA in Atlanta. And, and, that, and it's, okay. it's important to note that both, both of those places, I guess, plus Atlanta, all three of those places are appealing to players from uh, international uh, locales in a way that Nashville just isn't going to be. Everybody from Spain has va- vacationed in Miami. <laughs> Everybody yes. from South America has vacationed in Miami. Yep. Very few of them have vacationed in Nashville. It's just not a familiarity and a, and a desirability in the same way. That's not to say um, there's anything wrong with Nashville as a city or Nashville as a franchise. It's just the reality. You have to be aware of that when you go out and make your recruiting pitches. But when frat bros and bachelorettes get really, really good at soccer, Nashville's going to be <laughs> the best free agent destination there is. Watch out. Yeah, the, the, to the pie caps uh, soccer team is going to be the, the new pipeline. <laughs> uh, all right. So then the big, big picture question here, Jared asking four years of Gary and Jacobs, four playoff appearances. Great. But we've not turned the corner yet and are no closer to a title than when we started. What would it take for NSC to make a change? I, th- I think no closer to a title than when we started. It's kind of a, a weird framing because in the inter- intervening years, they've been closer to a title. Um, again, it's it's a league with a lot of parity. I don't think there's anything close to a change. I think, you know, if next year they were scraping into the playoffs at the end of the year, which they're not this year, to be very clear, with with three games to play, they are in the playoffs. Um, you, you might start to think about making a change, but I think when you look at the big picture, some of the things that we just mentioned for reasons outside of Nashville's control, they haven't had an optimal roster at, you know, from game one to game 34. There's a, a bunch of different factors that go into it. I don't I don't think anybody would look at Gary Smith and say, I'm scheduling a terrible job. Right? No, I think, no. um, and I know uh, we got asked a, a, a more mean-spirited version of this question that asked about that as well. But um, if you look at the, the roster that, that Nashville has had and 
Again, I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with the way Mike Jacobs has put the rosters together. Uh, if, if Gary Smith were to, were to get fired by, by Nashville Soccer Club, he would get hired by somebody else in MLS immediately. Yes. Um, so I don't think I don't think that you look at it and say it's time. There may eventually be. I don't I don't even think uh, anything short of, of missing the playoffs next year would, would really make that even a possibility. It's hard to remember that, first of all, one of the most successful four season for, um, expansion for first four seasons after expansion. A lot of that was happened with uh, constraints that that have never applied to other teams. Look at what Miami did uh, in their expansion first couple years through the the COVID issues that that obviously almost ended 2020 and then still persisted into 2021. It's it's a, a unique situation that these club that those two clubs especially have had to deal with, and Nashville has come out looking like roses so far. Yeah, I think the question I would ask anybody who's interested in making a change in the GM spot or the managerial spot is all right, who do you propose walking through that door? And at the very least, if it's somebody equivalent, you're taking a major risk when you're losing the stability that Nashville's fostered. Um, also, remind, let's, let's remind ourselves, Nashville's one penalty kick away from, from a trophy a month ago. So, yeah. I mean, if, if they win that, does that change the question? And, and if so, and, if and one, they've if been a one, penalty, they've been a penalty kick away from making MLS cup uh, in 2020, one, 2021, was that the year? Oh my making gosh. The conference <laughs> yes, yeah, 2021. Final. No, they, they lost the conference final like, to Philly, didn't they? No. Am I losing my mind? Yeah. Oh no, that was the two three game. You're right. So the, <laughs> I mean, they've been they've been <laughs> two kicks, a, a few kicks. I'm, I'm real smart, everybody. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, no, but they've they've been really close. I I don't think. Um, I think if they had been seventh for four straight years, everybody would be feeling very differently. But the fact that they've been close, <laughs> the fact that they were yeah. one kick away from a trophy a month ago, is is a very different prospect to look at. Yeah, it's a game of fine margins, and you don't throw out somebody who's been so consistent in a league that is so driven by parity just because they've underachieved in a particular season. And, yeah. you know, in a, a particular to- subset of games, too. Yeah. It's not even the entire yeah. season. Again, we're- we talked earlier in the year that they were potentially going to to have make a run at Cincy. Then. Yeah, we're, we're just, close enough to yeah. see the warts and to be yeah. rightly frustrated by some of those warts. Every club can say that, even about a championship team. For Philadelphia, it's, ah, Jim Curtin just can't win the big one. Yeah, but they're getting there. For Nashville, it's not that, but it's close to that. This is a team that's remarkably consistent. Who else would you want walking through that door at the price point Nashville's going to pay? I'm taking what Nashville has right now any day of the week. Last question uh, as we look toward the postseason now. Brian Wilson, what kind of playoff result is necessary for this season to be considered a success? That's a tricky one, Tim, because... If you do paint a pretty picture at the end of this season, you're painting over uh, a lot of stuff that's that's pretty bland. So does the bland stuff go away? Is the rotting wood going away or does it, does it make <laughs> it all better? For me, I don't think that anything shy of a conference final is enough. I think getting to the final four of MLS to me shows, all right, Nashville got over this. They won a couple of playoff series, remember? Uh, well, one playoff series and then another playoff game. Um, I think that's progress. Obviously, they've they've never been there. Um, it would soothe the pain of the last couple months. And I think it would demonstrate proof of concept that, hey, what Mike and Gary have said all along is true. Get to the playoffs, just get there, whatever your seat is, and you're going to be tough to beat. That's that's the concept they've sold now for four years. That's proof of that concept if they do that. But if they don't do that, Tim, I think anything shy of that is just familiar ground. Like a conference semi-appearance is not a bad result for the season, but it's not going to yeah. feel like a success for the majority of this supporter base because they've seen that a couple times before. It's the same old story if Nashville can't get past that. Yeah, I mean, I have a hard time framing what is a successful season. It's not like 
a college team where, where players have four finite years, you know, it's, yeah. it's a situation where uh, at the beginning of the year, your goal is to win trophies. And if you don't win trophies, you have not achieved your goals at the beginning of the year. So um, I think to a, to a certain extent, there's nothing short of an MLS cup really makes it quote unquote a success, but obviously the, the, I think the point of the, uh, question is is more of non-failure <laughs> success a positive, defined as a good season. yeah success yeah. is not defined as non-failure and i think um making it as far as nashville has ever been before they will obviously have to do so from a lower seed a rumor has it they were the number three seed not the number two <laughs> seed back in 2021 um and played philly in the conference semifinal. yes um, i think if they make it back to that point they will have to spring at least one upset along the way i think that would make it it would take some of the, to the some of the bitter taste out I don't think it, it. There is something that makes this season an unmitigated success, um, you know, short of uh, matching the best that they've done before. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a failure either. I think it's important to. There's there's a lot of gray area. There are there yeah. are you know twenty six twenty eight teams that are not going to quote unquote find success. Yeah, I, I never liked that. I, it's 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 a it is shades of gray, right? It's not binary. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's still a chance for Nashville to do that. But I think the more likely result is Nashville wins a game or two uh, in the playoffs and then is out because, uh, again, it starts with the series. And, uh, you know, that's it. Uh, I think that's the more likely scenario, but we will see. Um, yeah, I, th- I think I think um, if they win, if they make it out of the first round um, and do so in an exciting fashion, I think that's enough to kind of lay groundwork for improvement next year. That would, that would, I think, uh, appease fans a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. But uh, before we get to a couple of things to close out, let's talk in Melrose. We're going to uh, give a quick standings update, talk about playoff scenarios for Nashville and then preview the Philadelphia match. But first, Tim, you know, we're talking a minute ago. I made the allusion to Broadway and to bachelorettes and, um, you know, frat bros, no offense. If anybody listening was in a fraternity, you're fine. You're not, you're, you're one of us. You're fine. You know, loving Broadway for all the reasons that most of us can't stand being on Broadway. And then I think about ML Rose and what that represents. And when we have people come to town to visit, maybe you do this too. You know, you give them the list of like things you have to see on Broadway for the one night where you have to go to Broadway. But then when you want to get away from that, go to ML Rose. That's the first thing on my list when I send it to people. They're always so thankful that I sent them to a real place that's local, (laughs) that's got great local beer and flavor, where that beer is not going to be spilled all over you. Yeah. When I first moved to Nashville, I, I think I've probably told this story before. When I first moved to Nashville, I was like, man, if, if Broadway is what is what going out and having a beer is like in this town, I'm not going to be very happy. Um, I discovered the the Charlotte Avenue, uh, best, most important neighborhood adjacent mm-hmm. or, or inclusive. Well, we can debate whether Charlotte or the highway is the divider. <laughs> but uh, when I discovered ML Rose, it, it changed everything because it was like, oh, cool, a normal bar. I can go out. I can have a lot of fun uh, or I can I can go just go have a chill beer. Uh, and ML Rose is the sort of place that is, like you phrased it there. It's it's an actual place. It's not <laughs> it's it's not this this weird sort of Disneyland of, of debauchery. It's Disneyland. I love that Disneyland of debauchery. That's going to be a bar in like the next two years. Probably, <laughs> probably. It'll just be called that. Uh, they're leaning into it. And then there's going to be one just called Vomit. Like they're skipping the pretense. They're getting further away from the pretense. <laughs> vomit. And, and their, shuttle, yeah. their shuttle to the to Geodis Park will be the Vomit Comet. The Vomit Comet. There you go. All right. Uh, trademark that. We're going to make some money in a couple of years. Uh, <laughs> we'll close things out with a quick look at where Nashville stands right now. You mentioned it right off the bat, Tim. The most likely result, overwhelmingly most likely, 
is seventh place. Um, a home playoff position now is virtually impossible. Here's what's up. Atlanta's catchable because Nashville's four points back of Atlanta with the game in hand. That's probably the only team that's reachable. There's a seven-point gap with New England with the same number of games played. They play New England, but they're going to need some help there. Um, Eight-point gap behind Columbus. Uh, Nashville does have a game in hand there. The highest mathematical finish for Nashville's third. Pause for mm-hmm. a chuckle there because that's probably not uh, not even realistic. They, if they if they completely demoralize Philly with a seventeen right. to zero win this weekend, <laughs> maybe. and then Philly doesn't win again in their final. yeah, well because because the demoralization, yeah. right? I gotcha. Okay, yep. Um, highest realistic finish to me is is fifth, and even that it, it strains yeah. realism. I think Columbus essentially needs to lose in Atlanta and at home against Montreal, and they're unbeaten in four and playing really well, so that seems unlikely. Uh, a New England nosedive against seven points. Nashville could make up three of those by beating New England at home. Certainly feasible. Then New England need to lose at Orlando and versus Philadelphia. I mean, you could see it, but Nashville's also got to beat Philadelphia on the road to make that possible. Um, uh, or they need two wins in a draw with one of those wins being New England yeah. plus a six goal swing. So uh, that's a lot of probably challenging to process audio breaking down written standings. <laughs> Uh, but wanted to at least fill you in on where that is. And essentially, Tim, the high level here is seventh place. I don't know what the 538 odds here are. I'd give it like yeah. 76% odds national finishes in seventh place. Yeah, I mean, that's what I said earlier is, is they're they're basically going to finish seventh. There's a chance at sixth. There's a the slim chance at fifth. Technically, Chicago could catch them if if things go really poorly in the final three games. So there is a possibility of that. But uh, like you mentioned, the most realistic by far possibility is is finishing in seventh place um it probably won't be on 45 points it'll probably be on like 48 or something like that but atlanta is on 49 right now so you have to get two wins to to even pass anybody so that's that's kind of the realistic uh bent here so i I think you can look at that and see it as a possibility but it's unlikely the good news is a point in nashville's final three matches pretty much guarantees they finish ahead of chicago um, so, I mean, another thing is another thing that pretty much guarantees it is Chicago is the team chasing yes, you. So that is helpful. So it's, yeah. <laughs> unless, unless you're playing them at soldier field in all of those final games, you're looking okay. Chicago's five points back, but they have 16 goals to make up. So just get that one point. Chicago has two games left and, and you're safe. Even if you time on points, um, let's talk union real fast. This is not a trip that Nashville probably likes seeing on the schedule right now. After dropping points in two home games against good teams, they go to a great Philadelphia team that just beat Atlanta three, two, um, Nashville never won in Philadelphia. Uh, technically that, uh, that penalty loss in the playoffs was a draw, but of course they lost that one ultimately in PKs and they lost one nil back in 2021 at the union, uh, I won't call a house of horrors really, but it's, it's a, a station of stagnancy, if you will, for this, this Nashville team, I would say one goal in two games. And I don't know, not a lot of optimism that Nashville walks in and puts three up on the union. I would think dungeon on the Delaware. We'll keep chopping it. But um, yeah, but I, the, the issue with, with traveling to Philly is, is yes, it's a difficult place to play, but also that you're playing against the team that, that has their quality from, yeah. from one to 11. Um, Obviously, they they have not been a fully healthy team a lot this year, but um, you know you're you're not going there expecting to score goals with the goalkeeping that they have. You are not going there expecting to shut them out um, with the I guess depth through the midfield and some quality up top. It's a really good team, and that's the reason I think that Nashville has struggled at Philly. They kind of struggled against Philly at home too. It's because of the quality of the team. 
Um, and that's again, part of what makes it so unrealistic that Nashville climbs up the table in these final three games too. The crucible in Chester. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, Philadelphia, by the way, had a weird string, uh, five straight draws before that went over Atlanta, kind of weird, but it's good enough for them to be hanging in the top three right now. Um, any final thoughts before we, uh, we split today, Tim? No, I, we've, I've kind of given a, a little version of this before, but it, I definitely understand negative fan sentiment right now, but I don't think that necessarily means that fans need to kind of get depression about, about this team. It's it's probably not going to be an MLS Cup contender uh, as they enter the playoffs, but um, you know the fun times that they provided at Geodas Park and on the road, and kind of the the I, I think the the missed opportunity to have a better season kind of makes it more fun to think about next year too. Um, I, it sounds like I'm eulogizing them already, but um, really I'm just c- trying to say it, it it's okay to feel negatively about results. I don't think it is necessary to feel negatively about about any bigger picture items about the club, even though the individual results uh, kind of push you in that direction a little bit. Yeah. I think it's, it's a good time to pull your hair out. <laughs> I think I've mm-hmm. probably done that more. I don't have season. a whole lot left. So I know you're yeah, it's <laughs> little, little much, not much to lose there. Um, I think it, we're all pulling our hair out. Some may even have some gray hairs. That's I think that's reasonable with this team more so than maybe any that, that Nashville's put forth yet in USL or MLS. It's not time to, you know, pull the plug on, on Nashville's management or on, on hope for this team. It is still a playoff team. And I agree with you. It's, it's a maddening team, but it's not a hopeless group. And uh, I think that if anything, it's an impetus to look at next year and probably make some pretty transformational changes uh, to the core. I think that may need to happen here as contracts allow. And if you can have a season like that, while you still make the playoffs, I mean, it's not the worst place to be. Um, but it's all obviously still a very frustrating thing to be uh, frustrating place to be. Uh, one thing that's frustrating. We have um, Ben Wright and Chris Ivy, both in the semifinals of the, uh, of our fantasy <laughs> league. They're the two remaining teams uh, that are Nashville SC supporters uh, in the semis of the club and country soccer league. Congrats guys. I thought I had you, Chris. I thought I had you buddy in the quarterfinals. <laughs> I was ahead until the last games of the last night. I should have read your column, I guess about fantasy and then just done what you did and then made like one tweak and maybe I would have been okay. But um congrats to those guys for advancing to the semis of the club and country soccer league and uh, thanks to everybody for uh, for listening any content rex from you or are we going to skip that today no i got nothing i don't think i have anything either all right let's <laughs> head out of here thanks to melrose and moon taxi rate review subscribe tell a friend follow us on twitter all the things that we always tell you at the end and thanks to the 440 sports network for the platform to talk soccer we'll talk to you soon